Hi, welcome to the Whole Disney Mark Podcast Show. And today I am talking to Sharon Day, popular blogger of ghost hunting series, paranormal investigate, investigate and author of several books including Ghost of Chance, a, a Sick Teen Investigation, Zombie Housewives of the Robot Paranormal Geeks, Adult, pa- Adult Halloween, Taking Back the Season, Growing Up with Ghosts, Locating Locating the Ghosts. Sharon grew up in an actively haunted home that was a Civil War hospital for both North and South during the war. The experience fueled her passion for all things on screen as well as a keen skill for psychochemistry, I probably said that wrong, psychically reading objects. Sharon is well known for her humour and her outside the box questioning of, of the popular accepted and very questioned beliefs of paranormal realms. The driving forces are help dismystify the unexplained to turn mystical thinking into scientific thinking, help clients to reframe their experiences in actively haunted homes to make everyone question the old ways and seek theories and concepts that face fear with wonder. Sharon focuses on research because ghosts, Bigfoot and ancient giants that clearly include oil and gas equipment and rigs. Sharon is also working in the production of an upcoming film based on a real life case covered in a blog, Ghost Hunting Series. Which is number one ghost hunting blog on the web, and number eight paranormal blog on the web. And hi, Sharon. After that very long bio. <laughs> Thank, thanks for that uh, introduction. Right. Uh, let's see. How can you tell me about how you got involved into the paranormal world? Okay, I'm having a little bit of trouble understanding you. It's kind of muffled. I oh, say I'll talk. Uh, uh, right. It's okay. <laughs> How did you get involved in the paranormal world? Okay, I heard paranormal world. <laughs> Let's try that one again. I'll do this. Right. <clears throat> How did you get inspired to be in the paranormal world? Okay. okay. Uh, I was born into it. I didn't really have an option. Uh, I grew up in a, a 250-year-old estate in uh, Virginia, and... It had seen the Civil War, and during the Civil War, both the North and the South had used it as a hospital. So uh, a lot of people had died there. There had been a lot of skirmishes there on the property. So it was, it had a fort there as well, which made it sort of a battlefield. And the the property was extremely haunted, uh, not just the home, but the entire property. And uh, when I was growing up, it was considered one of the most haunted houses in America. It, it truly was a very active place, but I, I grew up there since I was a baby, and and to me the activity there was was perfectly normal. That's the way the world is. Uh, I didn't have any other comparison. So uh, my attitude about uh, hauntings is a little different than most people. I sort of step back objectively and appreciate being able to witness and archive it, and I don't feel threatened by it at all. So that sort of um, engagement that I have with the other the other side kind of led me into asking a lot of questions. I, I wondered why some days the place was more haunted, some days it wasn't. I wanted to know how that realm worked. And as I grew up, uh, it wasn't just that. I had encountered a Bigfoot at one point. Uh, that led me on another path of wanting to know what is this and, and why does it why does it happen? How, how does it happen? So uh, one by one, I just kept uh, going a little bit deeper down the rabbit hole, asking more and more questions of things that science doesn't seem to want to observe. It's because I think there's a connection between uh, Bigfoot, UFOs, and... Um cryptids uh, because when you look up ley lines there's a lot of stories connected to the same areas yeah actually I, I think there's some there's some places where there the conditions are just right that things of a paranormal nature happen they're sort of clusters some people call them vortexes uh, some people say they're convergences of ley lines there's definitely some Thing on the Earth's grid that leads to areas 
where these things are either attracted to it or the area has something it needs in order to manifest uh, or perhaps, and this is where I kind of lean, perhaps the human being in that setting now has better senses to perceive what's always there. So that's another avenue that I'm chasing. I, 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 I like the fact that you also like the world of ancient giants. I know. I, I like the fact that you like the world of ancient giants. Oh, ancient giants! Yes, um, it's become a, a huge part of my research. I really started out in a in a private Bigfoot research group of some of the best professional and scientific minds I know, and it's a, a private think tank. We we share information back and forth, and we've been working on the Bigfoot puzzle. When I joined the group, they wanted me to study language and psychic abilities of Bigfoot, and that, that was my specialty. And as I worked in the field of research, I started to encounter more and more people who lived with Bigfoot on the same property that they live on. And so there was a back-and-forth relationship and uh, what we call habituation. And so I started to advise some people who live on properties with Bigfoot how to handle the moods and the needs of this feral people. Uh, when things got very popular and people were talking about Bigfoot a lot, uh, there was a lot of talk going back and forth about we need to kill one to prove it. And uh, that was very upsetting to me as, you know, if you shoot any indigenous people, I'm going to be very upset. So I thought, you know, maybe we don't have to have a body to prove Bigfoot. All we have to do is prove that they are feasible. And the only way to prove they're feasible and that they could be here is to show what their ancestors, where did they come from, what's their lineage, who is Bigfoot's daddy. So I started looking around the world, uh, especially in places where Bigfoot-type creatures are found, and realize that there's also legends of giants and so maybe these giants never went away and that's where I started studying giants to see do they have anything in common and uh, they do it seems like everywhere that there is a, a Bigfoot type being today uh, there are legends of giants and so you kind of have to put them together if you can find giant skeletons you have giant people I think we might have a match well, there's a lot of people that believe that we have the giants and the fairies and of that today but we, we've um, uh, labelled them in a different way oh I, I'm sorry yeah it's still muffled it's a little hard to hear the question I'm sorry uh, it's my connection but I'll, 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 I'll say it again um, there are people that believe that there are giants and fairies that exist today, but we relabeled them in different ways. Oh, oh yes. Uh, you know, there's anybody who follows uh, Christian Christian uh, beliefs in, in the Bible, they believe they're the Nephilim, uh, that they are sort of the, the offspring of uh, these sort of cast-out uh, angels, if you want to say, uh, mating with human women, and uh, and that's, that's the path that they take. Uh, there's a lot of native people around the world that have their own theories about who the giants are and what they were. Uh, some believe that the giants uh, were supposed to be obliterated by the giant flood, and uh, some of them survived. Uh, I'm really logical, so if I want to prove to people that it's feasible that Bigfoot exists, I need to figure out not only their lineage, but actually name their ancestor. And in looking at archaeologic digs and what we found of, of man and, and how our the anthropology of Earth has expanded. It was only several years ago that we discovered a form of man called Denisovans. And the Denisovans uh, were found up in Siberia in a, a cave called Den Denisova. And these people had very giant molars. Uh, they don't know much about them except they have DNA in some of our population today. What's really interesting is if they have giant molars, we can extrapolate they were very large people. 
they would also have been northern adapted for mountainous regions, which Bigfoot's body proportions and musculature and hair cover, it, it all makes sense to somebody who was adapted in a very different place than those who came from Africa. So uh, it explains the long arms, it explains the, the longer body, shorter legs. Uh, they're able to go on all four just like uh, um, a gorilla could and, and hop around on all four because they don't have super long legs like we do. You know, you and I, our legs are almost half our height, but for a Bigfoot, they're only a third of their height. When I look at the DNA of Denise events that they have found all around the world in the indigenous people, everywhere there's DNA of Denise events, there is a Bigfoot-type creature today. In, uh, in Russia, we have the uh, Almasti. Uh, the Almas in Siberia. In China, we have Yaren. In uh, Australia, we have uh, Yowies. Uh, in the Americas, in, in Peru and the uh, Inuit uh, natives of the North Pole, both of them have the Denisovan DNA. Sherpas in Himalayas have Yeti, and they also have the DNA of Denisovans. So I think I made a pretty good correlation that, hey, we may still be sharing the earth with someone who was very wise, very ahead of us, and was adapted to live in extreme climates. Well, I believe that our ability to hear, um, see cryptids and paranormal is connected to early man, because early man had to be sensitive to these environments. And I think part of, his, part of his brain is still in us, and this is the part that helps us connect to the paranormal and the cryptids and UFOs. Some people that follow the ancient alien, um, I think that's kind of extreme, but the way I'm looking at this is that in the past, long, long ago, in, in prehistoric times, man was having connections with other realms and other types of life that we haven't experienced. Uh, for some reason, maybe that, that situation ended. Maybe it had to do with the Earth's harmonics. I don't know. Maybe it was frequency and resonance. You know, something was causing them to be able to have really extraordinary experiences. So when anthropologists look at caves and they look at the drawings of, of man or they find uh, effigies and, and things that, that man created long ago, they often say, oh, it was religious. That's sort of their experience. It, it, it was a spiritual thing. You know, they were having a vision quest. But I think we readily had these interactions and those legends came out in religious texts and they came out in native tribes legends that were passed down and they kept passing down the same information. So these things happened here and they were trying to account for them and we're just sort of interpreting that experience as being a make-believe spiritual in-your-head experience when they could have been actual encounters. I know also that you're an author. How, how do you go about writing your books? Well, as an author, I just, you know, my blog is prolific. There's a lot of content in Ghost Hunting Theories, but I also have some passion for writing fiction or just informing people further on subjects. So my books kind of run the gamut from uh, zombie housewives to uh, psychic readings that I've done on abandoned buildings to... Uh, sharing some of the real-life ghost encounters that I had growing up in my childhood home and in our summer home. And uh, right now I have a paranormal romance series out because I do enjoy being able to write fiction. But even in my paranormal romance series, uh, the first book out was uh, Ghost of a Chance. And it was fun because it's a fictional setting and fictional people, but I was able to put all I know about ghosts and actual real-life events into the storyline. So when you read it, it's incredibly authentic. Have you ever put it into uh, audio as well? Huh? Have you ever put your books in, Have you ever put your books into audio? I've never done audio for the books. Uh, it would be kind of nice, but I've recently started another path into the film industry, and uh, I'm going to be doing some work in production and some acting and uh, anything else I can do to, to push the film industry and to create things that are visual too. I know you're going to experience one on your one of your uh, events from your blog, aren't you? You're going to base the film on one of your true life events from your blog. Oh, yes. Uh, on the blog, there's a series called uh, Stalker Between the Worlds. 
and I am working with a filmmaker who's writing a script right now based uh, based on that series of events, and they're real-life events. They're just so extraordinary and unusual that they needed to be put out there for people to actually see and feel and hear, and uh, it'll, it'll be fictionalized a little bit, but a lot of the content, the con- concept of this is from this real-life series of events, and the blog has been following this uh, stalker between the worlds for, uh, I don't know, four or five years. What was, uh, when you started your blog, did you want to start it, um, you just got inspired one day to write it, or have you always wanted to write it? Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I had been actually submitting romance novels for some time back before I started the blog, and I was in, um, I guess I would just say, an awful marriage uh, with no support and uh, ridicule that I would ever get published. So I kind of put writing on the back burner, and then I uh, I snapped my Achilles tendon on my leg, and they had to reattach it, which meant I couldn't walk for about four months. And I was bedridden and depressed, and my son said, Mom, why don't you do this thing called blogging? It's the new hot thing. Go write a blog. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's ridiculous. And he said, well, you love ghosts. Write about ghosts. And I, I got to thinking about it, and uh, he set me up so that he showed me how to do it. And uh, I, like most things, I took it and I ran with it. My, my goal, really, for starting the blog was I have all these theories and ideas in my head. Like, what if a ghost is this? Or what if we do that? What would happen? And I look at things in a really open way. I don't take what people tell me about ghosts. You know, I know a lot of people think it's written in a book. You know, a ghost is uh, locked in a location, doesn't know they're dead. You know, all these different things that we assume about them. And I just want to watch their behavior and see if I can find patterns and repeatability. And then maybe, just maybe, by seeing what they have in common... I can extend that encounter. So I thought, these are pretty innovative, unusual ideas, and there has to be someone out there thinking this too. So I started the blog so I could share that, and it opened a conversation that still goes 10 years later. I I have a various blogs as well. I started one uh, some time ago as well called Ghost Man, and I write like personal journeys, uh, put down my podcasts and stuff like that. And I find it quite cathartic. It's quite nice to write something out sometimes. Uh-huh. I also know, I, I, I'm also trying to help you to do a podcast version of your blog as well. I would very much like for you to do that. I, I think it would be great to be able to take the content and make it, you know, something people can listen to. If they don't have the time to read it, at least they're being able to listen to innovative ideas. And I work with a lot of uh, underground uh, researchers who don't go public. They don't have a blog. They don't have a website. They're not trying to get attention to their research. They're just very curious about the world. And some of them are doing some very brave and innovative things and to be able to have a place where I can say to the world hey did you know people are looking in caves for this and here's what this you know explorer is finding and uh, and sometimes I guide the research I'll, I'll ask them to do certain things or document things a certain way so that I can bring as much information as possible one of the things that I'm kind of have known for is when I know something I share it immediately I want other researchers to take that idea or that experiment and run with it and so if they can expand on what we know please do it you know I encourage you I'm kind of known for forcing people to go out and adventure you know go on the road and explore your world and ask questions and poke poke it with a stick well I I have a a theory I always like to ask people uh, what they, their opinions are. It's a bit of a controversial theory, but I like it as a debate, a debatable theory. My my theory is that God is schizophrenic. <laughs> so, uh, whose voices is God God hearing? Well, he's both good and evil because he's made in he's made in our image. So I don't know what voice he would hear. I suppose a demon version of his own own voice, I would presume. 
I, I agree about that because I think, uh, and we know this from uh, Far East, uh, they have some wonderful philo- philosophies about the balance of good and evil and, and uh, light and dark, and there has to be that balance, and it should be contained within our God as well. Um, it doesn't mean that God's bad. It doesn't mean we're bad either, and that's something that we need to understand. Uh, it, it, it's not a judgment to have both sides. It's a balance. It, it's kind of like I live in America, and we have a wide variety of people living here. We don't, you know, not everybody here is, is American-born. They're from all countries. But what they bring to the mix is cultures and language and influence and specialties and arts and, and sciences and things that kind of give us this amazing mix. It's it, You have to have that balance or you become, even God's thoughts would be inbred if he didn't have that balance. I also like the fact that we are technically time travelling at this moment because uh-huh. I think that people look at time travel as, as straightforward but I look at it this way I'm time travelling to you because I am in the future because it's gone midnight my end and you are in the past because it's gone six o'clock your end I know it's not time travel in the sense of time travel, but I think it's theoretical. I'm trying to find if other people agree with me. In the aspects of time travel? Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm going to say I'm kind of odd, but I don't believe in time. Uh, I see time as just sort of a way of measuring attrition, you know, the, the breakdown of things. Uh, as we age, of course, we will use time to, to show the aging process. But as a psychic and somebody who has kind of an unusual outlook at the universe, I think that everything that has been, is, and will be is simultaneous. And I think when we deal with ghostly phenomena, sometimes that's what we're running into. We're running into the fact that there is no place for time. Time is everywhere. It's sort of like spirit is everywhere. Uh, spirit doesn't need a body. So spirit is omnipresent. And time is omnipresent too. Now, you say that you have the ability to talk to objects, is that correct? Yes, uh, it's called psychometry. Oh, thank you for that. I couldn't, I couldn't say the word properly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where I grew up, because um, I grew up in this historic site, uh, I went around with a metal detector digging up relics all the time. And as a child, I would bring the relics to my mom, I'd clean them up, and I would hand them to her, and I would tell her all about the people associated with the relic. I could even give her names. And uh, my mom would just kind of look at the relic and look at me and, and like smile and pat me on the head. And I remember thinking, Mom, don't you get this information too? I didn't understand. People really only can get like weight and temperature and texture from objects. They don't get this other stuff. And that's something I didn't realize until I was well into my 20s. How does it feel when you touch a, uh, an object then? way of sort of being able to touch things and not open myself up to the information. I look at it objectively. I touch it objectively. Uh, If I decide to focus my attention on it, then I can get the information. So it it makes it a lot easier. Imagine going to the market and looking at canned goods and you pick up one can and somebody really awful had just touched it. Uh, You know, you push it aside and pick another can. So life could be very tough to get through if I stop and evaluate the information that's there. So I try to just go into surface information, which is what everyone else gets, temperature, texture, weight. Well, I believe that I can smell strange things, like strange aromas. Cause I, ah. Basically, because this, this came about because I've had a near-death experience in my life. Yeah, that that is a commonality. I was I was born without any life signs, and it took four minutes to get a pulse and breathing out of me. So I think my birth alone kind of launched me into that. And I like to call it an umbilical. We all anybody that's had a near death experience still has this umbilical that leads to the other side. I, I agree with that. I think we touched our own version of heaven or hell. 
I don't believe there's a thing like a a, a real like a, a heaven and hell. I think we we've got our own version of it. interesting. I mean, can we create the heaven we want? When I was 16, my father had a heart attack and died in front of me, and uh, about four minutes later, the paramedics brought him back to life using the, the paddles to, uh, to restart his heart. When they were carting him out of the house, he gestured to me, and I came over to him, and he said, I was at a fjord, and I thought, what is he doing there? Uh, but my dad was from Norway, so that was his point of reference. He said that his, his mother and his father and his tante were there, and these are people who had passed on long ago. Uh, he said there were colors that don't exist here, there were flowers that don't exist here. And uh, they started to finish wheeling him out of the house, and he gestured one more time, and I came over, and he gestured for me to lean over like he had a secret, and he said, that was the real world, this one's fake. So that that experience that he had really colored a lot of things for me, where I understand a little bit better that perhaps jumping one more dimension in our existence, we have a whole frame of reference of knowledge and a depth of the universe that we don't have here. And it would be real similar to if I have a photograph of myself, it's a two-dimensional image of me. It, it doesn't have biology, it doesn't have depth, it doesn't have knowledge, it can't move, it can't eat, it can't think. We only jump one dimension and we have ourselves. Now that's a huge leap. Now the leap from here to the next realm is an interesting one and it's one we can't fathom at all. It's a consciousness we don't even, we don't have something similar to. It's the final frontier as I keep telling people. It's the final frontier that everybody's going to have. But we might have our own, as I said before, we might have our own private way of seeing things. Oh. And when we, if we are a, if when we are able to come back, I don't know if it's our choice to come back, or they may have a an an visual thing that we need to sort out. certain about the purpose. If people are brought back because they have something they need to complete, or if it's just simply a decision and which way you decide to go. If you're still barely into the other realm, you still are connected to this, this realm. And I wonder that about those who've passed on for long periods of time, if they even recall this life. Because we often try to get a hold of people like Harry Houdini, and we're not going to get them. And why is that? Have they completely disengaged from this existence, knowing that at some point, everyone they know will end up there anyways? So uh, why not just walk away from it and uh, become more spirit and forget the mortal form? It, it could be. It could be distancing. Do you think we're more acceptable death in this society, or do you think we it's a, still a taboo subject? Oh, I can't. Oh, what was that again? Do you think death is still a taboo subject in this day and age? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's. I think we all handle it differently. You know, some cultures are fine with it. I think as I get older, I mean, I'm 56 right now, and as I get older, uh, when I was younger, the thought of death was just absolutely horrifying. I, I didn't want to go someplace I don't know. And I'm sure when I was born, I probably felt that way too. <laughs> you know, don't send me down that passageway. I don't know where I'm going. Uh, but now I, I don't feel like I would have any regrets because when you're free to just do and be anything, if I never got to go see Australia and I always wanted to go there, it's certainly not going to be limited by this existence. So I don't feel I'll have anything undone. And uh, I feel good about meeting up with whoever's going to evaluate, judge me, which I think basically we all get a pass to go on. I can't imagine. Uh, I, I like to think our souls entered the world completely empty, basically a, a vessel, you know, just neutral. It wasn't good, wasn't bad. What we did here was a reaction to uh, biology and environment, 
and uh, and sometimes substances and other other things. And I think we certainly go back to shedding the the soul, which should be rather untouched by whatever the mortal decided to do. So I like to think we all we all have a place. I, I mean, I don't know about reincarnation because I have not talked to enough people about re- reincarnation. I'm a great believer in the Buddhist uh, reincarnation way. We, we're allowed to come back for a bit that we didn't learn originally in our life. And we re- we learn that little bit. I'm not too sure we come back fully. Yeah. Oh, to keep coming back and repeating it until you get it right? Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't go to a Catholic school, so I don't know that order. But uh, I don't see that there would be any need to do that. I don't think that uh, God would either not account for a soul if a soul is stuck in a building, I don't believe that. God would be sort of here. This is the way. <laughs> you don't need to stay there. And uh, when it comes to reincarnation, I get asked about that. And I, as a psychic, I have had some uh, re- repeat dreams about a past life uh, right around the time of the beginning of World War II. And uh, being a Jewish girl in a village and, uh, and escaping with my father. And the dream was very vivid because it also included things about Jewish culture that I, I don't know anything about, some of the terminology and, and the grief process and such. And so I got this knowledge I don't know myself have. It feels like I live that life. But one thing I know from reading other people is when I connect with them and I'm reading about their life, I feel I am them. I'm looking through their eyes. I understand how they feel about things. I know knowledge that I don't myself normally know. So I kind of wonder when people have reincarnation uh, experiences, if if they are really just having a moment where they pass through uh, the, the stream of information that's out there and they for a moment have a psychic experience and if you've never had a psychic experience it would feel like you actually were that person uh, but having had a lifetime of doing readings on people I know that I'm just observing I'm an archivist and I'm a witness and an interpreter and so um, I don't really see any reason for us to have to redo this mortal existence and I kind of compare it to this it's as if uh, if you were Say you were really wealthy and you never knew what it was like to be poor, we would have to take your money away and have you find a way to, to survive and to learn the value of money. And so God would give a soul a mortal existence to understand the preciousness of life. Otherwise, we would be rather arrogant, like uh, we report some of the angels to be. So I think us having this, this humility and understanding is part of the process. Another process, I think, is that each of of us souls enter the earth and by the toss of the dice we have a certain um, maybe we're born with certain genetic issues we're born into a certain family we make certain decisions and all of that shows all of the um you know, you, you couldn't even, the countless ways you can live a life. So when we come back to the fold, when our life here is over, we're really bringing back a recording of another way that life can be lived, and it brings knowledge to the universe. See, I know that that's demon, uh, that some people get confused with bad ghosts and demons. I know demons exist because basically the church has got a, a unit that deals with exorcism, in the Vatican, so obviously they believe in demons, so therefore they believe in ghosts, but they won't admit that. But um, do, do you think demons are around us, and we and some people are more susceptible to them? I, I think that in the in the case of any encounters you have with the unknown or the paranormal, it's ghost through the interpretive process of the person themselves and their own energy. If their focus is positive or their focus is negative or fearful or brave, they're going to have a different experience. And I'm 56 years old, and I have, uh, I've run a lot of seances. I've had a great deal of uh, field investigation work. I've tried to encourage things. I've never run into any signs of demons or possession, ever. But I don't believe in either, either. So that's not in my interpretive process. When I run into something, I don't say, oh, that's a demon, or it's trying to take me over. And I've had investigations where I've been scratched, and uh, I saw it as a beneficial thing, because something, I mean, it takes an awful lot to bridge that, that 
ethereal into our realm and be able to create something physical. And so I kind of look at it like a good sign, like, yay, you were able to do it. Can you do it again? Uh, and so my attitude's a little different than most people who uh, are, I think, our religious upbringings in general kind of force us to see that realm a certain way. And I didn't grow up with demons or possession in my religious uh, upbringing. And so it's just not part of my interpretive process at all. I believe that my house could be haunted I'm not, I'm not an expert by any uh -huh. shape or means I'll show you I'll give you examples um, uh -huh. sometimes when I'm talking to people on podcasts it suddenly go off for no apparent reason I get lots of interference electrical items my dog oh, will, yes. my dog will stop and stare into space when I did a, a quick EVP reading of my own I'm not a professional so I might have got it wrong I did. I did. I did one, and the strongest place was the wet room or bathroom, as you would call it in America. It came a really high reading there, and I also my wife saw one day, like black figures standing by the bed, oh. staring at her. But they didn't do nothing. They didn't scare her in any uh -huh. shape or form. I think she saw it as a, a sign of um, her mother and father who passed on. We're looking at uh, and uh, making sure she was okay. usually when people say that they think their home might be haunted is to keep a, a, a notebook somewhere in the house with a, a pen or a pencil and anytime anything happens write it down, write the time write what happened, write who was in the house um, and especially if anything significant happened like uh, somebody had an argument or a new person came into the house that, that isn't usually there, any factors so that you can start to understand if your house has certain moods or certain places or certain people it happens to and it also helps to empower the people that live in the home there's something about being able to tattle on a ghost that makes you feel like you're in control yeah you don't know when or where they'll show up but i'm going to report you so it really helps to kind of give you a sense of i'm going to watch this and i'm going to archive it and i can be objective and not feel like i'm victimized it's a good idea i should do that I should do that. Thank you, Sharon, for that idea. I will do that. I like the fact that you. I like the fact you look at things in a scientific way, because I think that's important as well. Well, yeah, I have some people that tell me I'm kind of ruining all the magic of the other world, and I, I compare it to this. We go back to the Middle Ages, and we had the Black Plague, and people were dying right and left. They had no idea why. They thought maybe it's because of their their family lineage, or maybe it's because they don't pray enough. They had no clue. Well, eventually, we, we got to where we could look and see these things on a microscopic level and realize it's a bacteria, and we can treat it, and now we understand it. But it also, it may have ruined some of the magic, but it brought up this whole new universe of microbes and so wouldn't it be cool if we understood a little better what it is that's running all this paranormal stuff because then we can jump on that highway and do stuff with it i mean can you imagine if we would be able to just readily talk to the other side it'd be like a nice little conversation like we're having now like we could phone them up say hi mum yeah. how are you doing <laughs> i'm actually working on a sci-fi horror uh script for a movie that's based on sort of that premise to a different world where we, we communicate readily we don't grieve anymore well, I once was talking to a psychic um, called Evelyn Bryan and um, while she, I was talking to her she, she did a, a reading came through of a, a dog that we uh, passed on I let her do the reading I didn't give her too much information not to be rude I just didn't want to prompt her in any shape or form and she got most of the details pretty accurate. Uh-huh. Do you find that sometimes people think you're going to be super accurate or that you, you um, when you help people, it's you're getting like information how the ghosts tell you, but it, from their side, of the, their side of it? Yeah. I, I, I can't imagine 
be able to just readily communicate with the other side and what they would want to tell us or what they'd be even allowed to tell us. I think anything that they would try to describe, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have the comprehension for it. So uh, they may not even be able to give us an example. And, and I talk to people a lot about uh, when they see their, their loved ones that have passed on and they see them, you know, within days of their passing or within the time of their passing. And, um, I, you know, I, I, have to, I have to wonder about how much of us remains here. You know, how much, how much can we project before we, we're so much in the other universe we can't even, we can't even conceive it. So uh, I, maybe it's good that we have these delineations. And, and if I go back to the, the idea of a two-dimensional photograph uh, being a facsimile of me, it's only a facsimile of, uh, you know, my, the, the front of my body, how I look, my face. Uh, it doesn't, of course, have all that content that I have. But then what if there is another me in the other realm, which is the, where the soul resides, and that soul has even more content, and I am nothing but a facsimile. So that, that photograph had a short life hanging on the wall. It eventually faded or burned or mildewed or got thrown out. Uh, and in my mortal form, the same thing shall happen to me, but then I'm only in my soul content. So sometimes when I'm going through life, uh, and I am a, a spiritual person, I pray to God, um, and I also talk to what might be my real origin, my soul that's in this other realm, uh, sort of saying, is this what you wanted me to do here? You know, I'm, I'm just trying to be a facsimile of you, so, you know, throw me a bone, show me what I'm supposed to do. Uh, because I think I have awareness as a soul once I shed the body. So um, I'm not trash like the photograph. I'm simply carrying the content of that soul, trying to express it in a mortal form for the soul. The soul wants to be expressed in a mortal, in a mortal way. And, and how can I do that with dignity and respect? Well, I could give you an example. I, I, I used to work in mental health. And one of our ladies that we de was dealing with was unfortunately dying. And when I was in the room, when she passed on, I could physically feel as if something had left her. I didn't see yes. it, I didn't touch it, but I could physically feel it. And that feeling has yes. never left me. Absolutely. Your soul recognizes other souls that are in the room. Uh, and I think we do this sometimes. You can be in a restaurant just sitting there eating, and you feel like somebody's watching you. And you turn, and somebody behind you is staring right at you. You're aware of them, even though you can't see them. You know. You feel the intent. And uh, I sat with my mother when she was passing, and uh, she was in a coma for about a week before she, she went. And it was interesting because... My siblings and I were all sitting around watching her and keeping vigil, and uh, she wanted to die in the house that her mother had died in, so we, we let her do that, and uh, she was hooked up to the pain pump, and uh, we came and went, and uh, at one point we all came in the room, and everybody looked at each other, and we all said the same thing, mom's already left she's gone and I felt it and my other four siblings felt it too we knew she wasn't present anymore so we were okay with unplugging her and letting her go you know letting her body go yes I, I think people don't realize that when the soul leaves you you are just a shell I don't mean that in a disrespectful way but you are just a shell I can't hear that one. <laughs> I said, I, I said, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but when the the, the soul leaves us, we are but just a right. shell. We are just a shell. That's what's left behind. I don't, I don't mean that nastily or anything. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, I've always said I'm, I'm Scandinavian, so I would love to have a Viking funeral. Just burn my body. I don't. That's not going to matter to me. Uh, and, and all of that's going to be very quite, quite distant. I just want to free the soul up. And I don't necessarily see the soul as being in the body. I see the soul sort of in the way people feel God guides them and helps them. The soul is not physical. So it is not located in your body. It's not going to float out of your body. It is directed from somewhere in the universe. 
and that's the interesting part when you start to realize you may not be harboring the soul within your body you start to take your your place as a human being very seriously and very uh, it's very sobering that that you need to stay connected with that soul and you need to act for that soul in a physical realm that's strange though because when I started my podcasting, I started in the world of cryptozoology, but as I've been talking more and more about my near-death experience, I've been pulled and pulled more to the paranormal. And sometimes I can sense, when I look at something and I think, oh, I must, be, I must want to talk to that person. I look at a proto like yourself, and I think, oh, that person would be interested to talk to. I don't know why I think you yeah, that person may be interesting. I just get the feeling they're going to be. Yes, yes. It's amazing. I think souls recognize each other, too. And a lot of people say it, but it's true. We are energy, and people can read that energy. It's, it's Some energies are attracting. They bring things to them. Magical stuff happens. Their life is awesome. And other people seem to repel and push outward. And so that's why that constant checking in with the soul and accounting to that soul and to God for what you do is it changes how your life comes out and I know some people call it the secret but it's true uh, you you have the decision with a thinking brain to account to your soul and to count to God to create a positive world and people kid me about it all the time because I seem to draw all kinds of stuff to me but the fact is I live my life creating the world I want to live in and the world I want to live in people slow down and notice that others are having a hard time and they give them a hand and pull them up because they want everyone around them to be marching forward with them they don't want people they don't want to step on people and uh, and they don't want to emulate people that they think are above them they want to simply get everyone around them happy and 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 not create you know I don't want anyone to ever feel any of the negative things I've had to experience and so I live my life the way I would like others to be in the world I want to live in people say you're having a bad day or I know it's a hard time right now let me help you while you're weak and you can help me when I'm weak and when you do that it is what people say karma but it does come back to you and sometimes you may not see the effects except that you just felt really good that you helped someone and so I try to even though I have a crazy hectic life I slow down enough to notice the people around me and how they're doing and to set an example well I, I personally in my personal life I have mild small vessel disease of the brain mm. which affects my cognitive skills like speech and memory I also oh. have a neurological condition that affects my neck I also suffer from OCD, which I uh-huh. deal with uh, daily. And I, I talked about certain things on World, um, World Mental Health Day, because I think mental health is an important thing to talk about, because I dealt with yes. mental health, and I have mental health problems myself. And I think it's important to discuss it. spent a lot of my life dealing with uh, with anyone suffering from issues of anxiety and depression and panic. Uh, it's something I've been doing since, I, you know, oh gosh, uh, uh, 38 years. Yeah, no, 28 years. 28 years I've been helping people with those issues because I had gone through that myself. I had had panic disorder in my 20s, and I recovered myself using certain techniques that help me in everything I do every day. I use those same techniques, and they make things so much easier. But there's also people that, you know, like you said, with if you have a brain injury or some other issue, it can sometimes be your strength. And, and I know that as a writer and as somebody who's doing screen writing every character that has a weakness it is also their strength so uh, and we see this with people who are savants Uh, some people may say that they're mentally deficient but then they're exceptional in another arena and 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 more so than us and any genius we've ever had I look at Tesla he was OCD and he had a lot of other issues about intimacy and uh, it, it actually helped him in his
scientific mind to focus on that realm and put more energy in that area. So there's some real advantages sometimes to having what some might say are weaknesses, but they're really helping you in a way to not to, to focus more in another area or to use some of the strengths that come from that that weakness. Well, I like to be like you. I like to be eclectic. I mean, I do my podcast. I do comedy, I do horror hosting, I write, I sing, I do, exactly. I do, I do lots of things, and I, I don't care people, do. I, even if I get one viewer, I'm not worried anymore, I just like doing what I like to do, I did try to do a radio station once, but I kept over, I over, kept talking over the adverts, which wasn't a great thing to do, but we, but we, we didn't, we, 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 we didn't fall out unamicably, we, I, I, I thought I well. I didn't want to upset their product, and it wasn't fair on them. So we, we departed down with company, and we still talk to each other, so there's no nastiness there. Well, yeah, obviously it sounds like from all the things that you're doing and you've done, your, your focus is communications. And so by you focusing on every form of ways that you can communicate and pass on information, you found your bliss. And that's, that's you know, what we say, uh, use what God gave you. And uh, God gives you talents. He gives you different levels of intelligence, different life experiences. And you take that and you use it. And so you are the communicator. Well, I enjoy doing it. I, f- I think I'm all right in doing it. Um, I, f- I mean, I recently got on iHeartRadio, which I was quite proud of, because that's quite a hard station to get on, apparently. So I've been told. I mean, I don't know. Um, it's, over, it's over in America, so I don't know. What I know about America, I can write on stamp and still have plenty of room. <laughs> yeah. We are... Uh... We're an interesting country. <laughs> well, you do know that the fact that, the, you know, if it wasn't for that tea dispute, we'd still yeah. own you. Uh-huh. I think you should have, I think you should have had two sugars, not one, and, and accepted it. We just offered you the tea and you just wouldn't, you just wouldn't go, you just said, sorry, we want two sugars. And we said, no, you can't have two sugars. You've only got to have one. And you just got, uh-huh. ups- you just got so upset yeah. by this, you thought, we're going to go to war over it. I think that's. I just think that was a bit of an overreaction myself. Oh yeah. Well, I'd, I would love to see you be, you know, doing the the podcast for Ghost Hunting Theories. That would be wonderful. Passing knowledge, and I have so many things right now coming in coming months that I'm going to be uncovering from researchers that uh, are going to be really groundbreaking. Things people don't know that researchers are searching for and looking for and trying. Uh, is it just blows my mind to think of how it, these are exciting times. It used to be that educational systems and and even churches and governments would choose what the focus of our research and knowledge is. And now it's independent, which means anyone can go poking around and learning things. And so we're getting a a really good education from just the average Joe. Now, people are going to be listening and saying, oh, where can I find uh, Sharon? Where can I find her links? My site is ghosthuntingtheories.com, and on there you can find the links to all my social media. I, I'm everywhere. <laughs> and I know you're recently doing a lot of script work, and you're going into the real film of acting. Uh, have you uh, been an actor before, or are you just learning on the job? I'm learning on the job. Well, I I, I took acting classes in uh, for about six years during my school time, uh, but I was not good at it at all. And it was never my intention to act. I entered the film industry and uh, soon took on more and more responsibilities, but people kept asking me, would you be in this film or would you do this part or this show or whatever? And I always turned it down because I'm, I have a very busy schedule. <laughs> I'm actually in the oil and gas industry and a few other industries, so the time to do things like that is, is limited. But also, I was afraid that if I start going on that path, I become a public figure, and that wasn't ever my intention. My intention is to be in the background, inspiring people to want to go 
out and explore the universe and ask questions and don't accept all the answers. Um, try something different. And that's kind of where I wanted to be. I didn't want to be somebody that people could recognize and uh, strangers would approach me and stuff like that. So I've always been very low-key about that. Uh, the, some of these parts that have come to me because I'm supporting the film and the making of the film, I don't mind playing a small part in it. Just uh, I'll give it a try. Let's see what I can do. Uh, God obviously gave me opportunities, and I don't say no to that guy, so I'll try it. <laughs> well, I, I like to do voice work. I like to read stories and do the voices with it as well. It's something I like to get into, even if it's like only a small, even if I've got a very, very small part. I'd be. I'd do anything for free. I don't never charge for nothing because. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not something I would ever think of as a career. It's it's something I'm willing to help out a film cause, and and mostly I want to promote the films and get people to be excited about the films and and come see them. But if they want me in them, that's that's okay. I when I was younger, I used to model and I used to do beauty pageants and stuff like that. So I and I do a lot of public speaking. So I'm I'm comfortable with those arenas. I'm not sure. I guess I'll have to delve into when I was a kid and I loved to play, you know, dress-ups and pretend. <laughs> I'm just going to have to learn how to be someone else for a while. Hmm. I, I think you'd be very good at acting. I, I, I'm tr I do, um, as you may know, I do a, a horror host called Ghost Men Horror Host Show. Oh, oh. And basically, um, he's uh, like a weirdish clown. I don't know if you've seen any of them. Oh, I think I have. Uh, I think I have. It sounds familiar. Yeah, um, and basically, I, I do the voice like, Welcome, my children. Today I'm talking to Sharon Day. She is one of the people we would like to scare in, at Halloween. Something like that. My blog, I had a sidekick for, I, I don't know, about eight years, and he was a ventriloquist doll named Dale, and uh, the whole the whole guys behind Dale is that uh, he was stuck with me, and I was stuck with him, and I don't like him, and he doesn't like me, and uh, sometimes just to unsettle my friends, I would just suddenly start talking like Dale, or I might call him on the phone and <laughs> use his voice. People are scared of ventriloquist dolls in general. They, they don't like them, and once they have a voice, they're very creepy, so uh, I had a lot of fun uh, doing the Dale voice for quite some time. Yeah, I like I like doing it because I, I found that I, I talked to a couple of horror hosts. I thought, I'll give it a go. I'm not an expert by any shape or means. But I, I think it's a good way of hiding. You can pretend to do a story. You know, everybody gets creeped out about it. Just slightly. It's never meant to be vicious. I don't do it nasty. I like the old type of horror. You know, like Hammer Horror? The old horror films? Yes, uh, you know, my my favorite is you know, UK horror from the 70s. You know, I love the Hammer films, and I, you know, I love The Haunting and The Legend of Hell House, and some of those real classic ones. I'm not into gore and guts. If you're going to scare me, what you need to do is, like, create a dark, creepy place with creepy music, a really creepy situation, and let my mind go nuts trying to fill in the blanks. Don't, don't fill the blanks in for me. Don't show me the ghost. Don't tell me what it is. Um, just let me worry about what it could be. And then that's where, where really good suspense horror occurs. Yeah, I like doing that when I do my little um, stories. I, I try to do them in rhyme. Not a very good rhyme. I just go something along the line. Uh, what would I do? Um, uh, today? You wonder, like, what, what would I do in that situation? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 would say, I would say something like, Today, children, I was walking through the forest. It was a dark, dark night. The leaves were falling and the trees were rustling. I heard a... Behind me, I did not look back, for I was frightened for what I might see. But the... was getting closer and closer. And then Sharon would say... Something along that lines, that, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, that's, that's, I love that. You just, you make this setting, and I, I gotta tell you, I love your dialect. I'm crazy about anyone's dialect in the UK. All the regions, I like all the different dialects. Uh, but you could, you could read the phone book and it would sound suspenseful. I would be 
and you know, just enamored. Well, I, I have a I originally from Essex, and my my wife is from Cornwall, and I live in Devon, so I've got a mixture of. Uh, oh my goodness, that's 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 a big mix there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I, I originally talk like, oh, 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 mate, uh-huh. and I used to say water and yellow, and my wife would say, uh-huh. and my wife would say. Uh, what was it? The first time I came here, someone said, "All right, my love, how are you doing, my darling?" I went, what? <laughs> you know, we have almost as much disparity in our dialects in America too. It's it's amazing. I can go down into the deep south, and I I have to ask them to repeat themselves. I don't know what they're talking. I don't I don't know what that is. What do you mean, Sharon? We don't talk funny. Yep. Now, before we go, I usually like to do a unique sign-off. Would you like to do your unique sign-off first, and then I'll do mine? Oh, there's a loud noise in the background. <laughs> That's all right. Don't worry about it. Okay. What was that again? Would you like to do... I, I, I like to do a unique sign-off. Um, would you like okay. to do yours first, and then I do mine second? Okay. Sign off. I can say anything I want. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> uh, go out, go out and explore the universe. Ask questions. Be curious, and please read ghost hunting theories. Right, Shane. This is my one to you. I hope you can hear me. Okay. I know the sounds a bit not so great, but hey ho, it's oh. my fault for not putting the other microphone on, folks. So don't blame Sharon. Blame the host. He's a bit of an idiot sometimes. <laughs> right. Are you ready? <clears throat> Hello, Sharon, thank you for being on my show. It was so nice of you, you know. We talked about various subjects, and I liked your bits that you sent to me. I hope to do a podcast for you soon, I see. Thank you, good night, and you're welcome. 